This is God's word. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. The word of the Lord. Thanks be God. I invite you to pray with me. God of grace, as we come into this room together and um, the sun shines in and we're processing all different things that have been going on in our lives, whether it's um, a lot of just busyness, and we long for rest, or whether it's um, we've been enjoying the outdoors and the weather, and um, it's replenishing us. We may become with uh, with hurts and wounds of life, or maybe we come with the joys and thankfulness of uh, some kind of sense of answered prayers, faith, doubt. Joy, sorrow, it's our, the mixture of things that we bring into this room. We bring them before you. That's the idea, at least. And so my prayer now, as we, as we try to hear something in these words, my prayer is that you would meet us now with a sort of grace that calls out to, to messy, broken lives. Because the truth is, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. But your story keeps calling out to us saying that we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Change us through that love now, we pray. Amen. As we listen to this story, basically it's talking about how Christians have access to a power. Christians have access to some kind of power that's going on. And that sounds strange, I think, just to say it. I think that's a strange way to talk. I think you either got to put that into the category of, you know, science fiction, maybe back to the future. You know, Marty, we got to tap into the clock tower at, at midnight, you know, to get the lightning bolt to, to get power to the DeLorean to get you back to 1988. Back to the future reference, those of you who I don't even know if it was midnight. The nerds here might have—I might have gotten that wrong. It was 1985. Thank you very much, Nick. <laughs> Ooh, right here, guys. That was good. What time was it? Was it midnight? It was. Okay, it was midnight. No. 
Um, so you're either like sci-fi nerdy, you know, to talk this way about power. We have power. Or, 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 or you're sort of creepy cultish. I mean, just think of how it sounds. We have found the power. And as we access it, we are finding new life. Just imagine that being said to you by two people wearing matching shirts at your front door. Um, I mean, doesn't it just kind of... Yet, you know, whatever you think about it, however you think about it, perhaps it seems very strange to you, we've got to examine what this is all about because this is what the Christian church thinks. I mean, literally those, those creepy-sounding words, those words I just made sound really creepy, you know, actually that, those, that's sort of the language of the Christian faith. And what's, what's interesting about this story, we really have to stop and think because all the other stories that we've looked at, they've been about Jesus rising, raising someone from the dead. And at this point, the, the Jesus chapter of the big story has, has shifted and closed in a significant way. It's, there's different ways of thinking about the, the big story of Scripture, and the one we'll be looking at next week is, is creation, fall, Redemption, new creation, sort of a grid to look at the whole story. There's other ways, other grids to place over that. Another one talks about the, the stage of Israel and then the stage of Jesus and then the stage of the church. And so if you're going by that grid, then this is, this is that passage. This is a passage that comes right at the beginning of the new church chapter, right? Like so the Jesus one where Jesus is on earth, he ascended. So now it's the church. And it really brings up a lot of questions because, okay, um, maybe you think Jesus is special. He can do things like resurrection. But wait, is in this new chapter that you and I are still in, by the way, the church one, is this kind of, does this kind of stuff happen? Is this kind of power accessible? We've got to try to figure this out. And so let's look at it. Let's, let's just, it's a huge topic. And you'll have questions, I'm sure, that come out of this that aren't answered today. But let's just look at three basic questions. From where, who, and how. From where, I guess whence is a better word for that. Whence, who, and how. From where. Um, you notice what Peter does in this story in verse 40? He prays. Before he raises Tabitha from the dead, he prays. Now, Jesus doesn't have to do that. And so if you take the stories of Jesus rising people, raising people from the dead, he doesn't have to pray. In fact, he'll just, he'll just say something, maybe touch the person, and they'll rise from the dead. There's something very substantial in that point, very substantial. In just that minor detail, Peter sends everyone else out, gets down on his knees, and he prays. When uh, Jesus is going to heal someone or, or raise someone from the dead, he doesn't have to pray to anyone. He doesn't have to get past some barrier and put this issue before the one who has power. When Jesus is in the situation, he is the power. As soon as we change chapters and now it's Peter, he's praying. He's looking to the power. It's not in Peter. He's looking to the power. And he's putting the issue before the one who has power. It's just a a big point. So from where? The power comes from Jesus. And there's a story right before this one 
And I love the very simplistic wording of it in the story before this. When Peter, it, it's sort of like power stories put together. That's why I include it. And Peter says to this person who needs, um, who's been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. That's his language. Jesus Christ heals you. And the person gets up. Very simple language. Not really what you'd expect someone, if you, if you say, if somebody came to you and said, you know, it's crazy, um, this person that I know um, was healed. Someone came in and, and, and said some things, and the person got up and was healed. Um, I, you know, I wonder what we would imagine someone would say in that moment. G- Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. I imagine we might say something like, um, or we might expect something like, um, your best intentions heal you. Um, the universe brings you healing. Um, the bond of our love together will heal you. What other kinds of things? Your humble heart heals you. Your, uh, your kind actions are, are coming back to you now and, and you, you shall be healed. Or maybe even just simply put, like if you imagine a miracle worker who claims to be doing miracles, you might expect them, someone like Peter, to say, my hands heal you. I come to bring healing. I'm going to do it. Peter says, now you go to one place, there's one answer, there's one way this works. There's only one way this works. Jesus Christ heals you. When he comes to the room of someone who's dead and for whatever reason he, he, he thinks or he knows or he imagines that there might be a resurrection that could happen out of this, he prays because he knows that Jesus Christ is where the power is. There's one source and um, it's a really big message for all of us, whether you're exploring Christianity or whether you're in the middle of it, is that um, all of the alternative power sources that you right now are going to, the experience of letting Christianity into your life and exploring it is to, to let those fade into the background. Just think about this morning. You walk in and what's going on in your life? And what power source are you looking to? I know it's, we don't talk that way, but what, what are you looking to to kind of come at the issues that you're struggling with? And maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's money, maybe it's, I think surprisingly often it's validation of others that we expect to sort of rescue us or get us through life. What's your alternative power source? There's something today in your life that's competing with this idea that, that basically if you want to f- figure out more and more what it's like to, to live with Jesus in your life, to have a greater connection to just exploring Jesus more, it's going to mean at least being open to letting those things fade into the background, at least giving a chance that Jesus alone becomes the place where you take your weakness, and your need for help. At some point, you, you look at the alternative power sources that you're going to, and you, and you say, maybe they're not cutting it. Maybe it's just not coming through. And maybe it's time you know, to redirect, to redirect where I'm going with this. And, and really ask yourself, is that a regular part of my daily life is to redirect my, the issues that are front and center, front burner issues for you and redirect them 
and go to Jesus. For Peter, he's in this intense phase of his life and what he's just seen and what he's just been involved in in the church. And he, um, it seems like it almost comes to second nature. His first thought is, go to Jesus with this issue. It's something to move towards, at the very least. But also, so that's from where? From where does it, where does it come from? Whence does it come, this power? Jesus Christ. Peter's answer is simple. The Bible's answer is simple. Secondly, who? Who can access this power? Is it just Peter? Is it just the religious superstars, you know, the miracle workers? Is it just Peter and some of those guys back then in the Bible? Or even maybe today, is it just, just, just really, really privileged, uh, gifted, leader-type people somewhere that can do this, have special talents, that can tap into this and access into this power? This is a great book, just a, just a pleasurable read um, called uh, Dr. Strange, or no, what is it? Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. So this is a novel about, um, about it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a fiction, a work of fiction, and it's, but it's set in real time in a sense um, in the 1800s in uh, the UK and Britain. And this is how it starts. I love how this starts. It says it all. Some years ago, there was in the city of York a society of magicians. They met upon the third Wednesday of every month and read each other long, dull papers upon the history of English magic. This is Susanna Clark is the author, by the way. They were gentlemen magicians, which is to say that they never harmed anyone by magic, nor ever done anyone the slightest good. In fact, to own the truth, not one of these magicians had ever cast the smallest spell, nor by magic caused one leaf to tremble upon a tree, made one mote of dust to alter its course, or changed a single hair upon anyone's head. But with this one minor reservation... They enjoyed a reputation as some of the wisest and most magical gentlemen in Yorkshire. I just, I just love this picture. And so they, you're brought in, with that introductory phrase, you're brought into this meeting of this, these magicians who are talking about magic and the history of magic eloquently, but nobody's ever doing anything about it. I think sometimes you read a story like this in the Bible and you almost, you almost feel like that's, that's, that's where you're left. It's just uh, discussing this power, looking at it from the outside, um, and in this story, you know, uh, this, this work by Susanna Clark, you know, eventually these two real mu- magicians come along and, and magic kind of come back to, comes back to England. But is it just going to be, is it just some special people? This story basically stands here to tell us no and, and to explain to us that it's, there's this broad accessibility to this power. Broad accessibility. You look through the story and what do you see? You see, starting out, you see widows who are, um, really the low rung of society. They're women who have lost everything, and their case is usually um, basically the, it, they're mentioned as people of great loss and emptiness because of their economic situation and because of their grief. So the story starts out with, with widows calling on Peter because they've lost someone who's been crucial in lifting them up and ministering them and providing for them, Tabitha. So they're involved, and they're provided for. They're, they access this power in the story. But, and also, obviously, so does Tabitha. And who does she represent? She's a sacrificial servant. She's someone who puts all this time and all this energy into sacrificially giving of herself and her time and her resources to, um, to widows, to people in great need. And so she, her, she's one of these people that's easily overlooked, and she's ministering to the easily overlooked people. A lot of women in this story, 
who were tapping into power. A lot of overlooked women. And then we have Peter, who's the visionary leader. He's the one who's preached before thousands of people, and he's come to this point where at one point thousands of people gave their lives over to this Jesus movement in one sermon. So he's very much an upfront guy. He's very much a notable guy, the kind of guy you call upon if you want a resurrection, you know. So he's the, vis- he's the visionary big-time leader. He accesses power in this situation. It's clearly not really for him. It's flowing through him. He's probably benefiting the least from this because there's a fourth group of people, and that is the unconvinced, the, the not-yet believers, the people who are, who are potential converts. Maybe they have friends who go to this Jesus thing, and they're sort of looking in from the outside. And this is very classic in terms of... Um, if you know about this concept of signs and wonders in the Bible, there are these times where there's these miracles. These, they're talked about as signs and wonders. Almost always, in my study of those kinds of passages, almost always you see that the, the kind of the big point of the event, of the sign or the wonder, is that people around see it. And, and God and the name of God is sort of lifted up. It's all about the attention that this brings to who God is, to who Jesus is, and to having more and more people connect with that. That's, that's always a part of these signs and wonders. And so, not surprisingly, at the end of this, we read that, um, and you might just kind of think of it as narrative glossing, but it's very, very important. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Right there. And then Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon, in the sense that with all these new people finding out about Jesus and signing on, in a sense, Peter stays around to, to explain and to help people get acclimated to what this is all about. So, in summary, who can access this power? There's four categories of people really here, aren't there? There's the people who are in visionary mode. There's the people in survival mode, the widows. There's the people in service mode. Tabitha, and there's the people in investigation mode. In, in the church, in the Christian faith, it is healthy to have at all levels, to have power happening at all of those four levels. And it's important to find yourself uh, in one of those places and to think about what it means for you and what you learn from this story if you're in one of those modes, in one of those places. You know, if you're, if, you're, um, if you're in vision mode, what does Peter do? He prays boldly and humbly as he accesses this power. If you're in service mode, um, or no, let me take that back. If you're in survival mode, I'm sure there's people in survival mode. I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you're in survival mode, See what the widows do? They call for help boldly. They're not afraid of calling to Peter, of all people, and expecting that he might come and visit and call upon them and maybe even do something about this amazing person who has passed away. So if you're in survival mode, don't be afraid to call for help boldly. And then if you're in service mode, if you're in sacrificial service mode, there's a really good chance that you need to see what's going on in this passage because you might be overlooked, you might feel very unappreciative, you might feel very much like, um, like you go empty in giving to others. So if, in your, if you're in sacrificial service mode, um, 
I think you, you need the story of Tabitha. You need the example of Tabitha. You need to know that, that in the church of Jesus Christ, the, the one key resurrection story that we have from those early days is of someone like you who was just giving and giving and giving unnoticed, except by the lowest of the low, the widows. They noticed, but no one else really noticed. And she's just giving and pouring out. And that's the person that we hear about as being you know, qualified to be raised from the dead. That's a person who it, was seemed, it seemed really like we need her back. We need her. So just go with that encouragement if you're in sacrificial service mode. If you're in investigation mode, just notice very simply that if you stay close to the Christian community, if you stay close to those who are um, grabbing hold of faith in Jesus, there's a good chance that you might eventually get some of the answers, some of the eye-opening clarity moments out of the power that you see in the church of Jesus Christ. So stay close. Stay connected. Now, okay, so we've done whence, we've done who, and now let's do how. How do you access this power? How do you access it? And if you look at Peter, it's just the detail of his actions, uh, it's really interesting. It really, this story stands out. Because what does Peter do? He receives this request, and just that doesn't sound very uh, grandiose. He receives a request, and he responds. He just goes. But notice that, that he's not in command mode. He's not in planning mode. He's not in big picture, I think we should go over here to this, this area called Joppa. He simply hears a very humble request by some very humble people. And he goes. And then once he gets there, um, the request is coming from, like I said, these overlooked people. And when he's there, what does he do? You would very much expect from the stories uh, about Peter up to this point in the book of Acts, that he would begin preaching, that he would get the bullhorn out, that he would find some public place to publicly declare something or do something amazing in front of people. Those are just the kinds of stories that Peter has sort of stumbled into. And in this one, he, he's almost like not there at all. If you really look at the story and what you learn about what Peter's doing, he, there's very little described about what he does. He just seems to be listening he, he gets the call, he comes, he listens, and he's absorbing the stories of these women who are, who are in grief, and he's getting in the ditch with them, and he's, he's looking at the things that they're saying, this is, here's another thing Tabitha made for us. Here's another way Tabitha was always looking out for us. Here's another thing she did, and, and he just listens. As far as we can tell in the story, Peter's in a different mode here as he approaches and accesses power. He's in listening mode. He's just listening. There's no flashy words that he's, he's doing. He, he has everyone leave the room rather than have a big crowd around when the big moment comes. He's just listening. And part of me, I still wonder as I read this, um, Jesus usually had a few people around to see the big sign. Peter sends people out. Is he wondering if anything's going to happen when he opens that door again? Is he maybe, uh, like I would be, wondering, am I going to leave this room and she's still laying there dead? I'm going, to, I'm going to try this prayer, but I don't, know if it's, I don't want to be embarrassed having people around and see that it doesn't work and see what I prayed for and see that it wasn't answered. It doesn't say that he's feeling that way, but 
I may be projecting a little bit of that doubt and insecurity into the passage. But he has everyone leave the room. It's very, he's, he's not in projection, proclaiming kind of mode. He's listening. And he prays. That's what he does. That's the key act that we have from Peter. Praying. And then just speaking some simple words for Tabitha to get up. You know, we need to hear this. We need to hear that in terms of accessing, how do you access the power of Christ? There's a whole lot of just listening. Opening yourself up. Being in tune with what is God doing? Where is God at work? What's happening around me? What is God saying? I'm praying, quite frankly, just like Peter does in the story. How do you access the power of Jesus Christ? By listening. By, in a sense, this is going to involve setting aside our, your agenda, which is basically, I can raise my hand, I'm, I'm one of these my agenda kind of people. This is hard for me. You know, life is lived with, what do I want to do next? Where am I going? What are we doing? And this is a whole different mode. This is, where am I getting a call from? Who's, who's in need? Where am I being drawn? And what's, what do I need to listen to when I get there? What's going on? And then how do I need to be in prayer amidst all of that? So you can learn how to access this power through Peter, and it's a surprising lesson of putting your agenda aside and just being open to what is God doing in my life right now. There's another thing as well that we see in this story. The widows access power. The widows access and, and make their way into receiving this power of Jesus Christ by doing something very important for spiritual growth, and that is they open themselves up to spiritual leadership. Are you doing that? It's a very powerful thing. It's a very, uh, I, could, I could tell story after story, but quite frankly, I, you know, it's, it, it's, it's usually personal stories, and I would need to get permission from everyone that I would tell, tell their stories of how when opening themselves up to spiritual leadership, how it becomes powerful in their life. I could just tell stories of my own. When I've gotten myself into situations where I'm vulnerable enough in leading alongside of other people open enough and putting myself in relationships with others who I need mentoring and leading from. Um, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's, it's a real difficult thing to hear correction and to receive words of wisdom that, that kind of shift the direction a little bit. But it's where I grow the most. I need that, and I think all of us do. And the widows here, the overlooked widows of the world, they're distraught, they're confused, they're in grief. And they have spiritual leadership in their life. They, go to, they know where to go. Do you know where to go? And basically, it's about how do you access power? It's about listening, and it's about having spiritual leadership in your life. And the truth is, someday, you're going to be distraught, like the widows are distraught. You might not be there right now, but someday you will be. And someday in life, you might feel as dead as Tabitha, or you might be getting a call in some way from somewhere like Peter. The question will be, what power will you be connected to in, in terms of moving forward amidst that place in life? Let us pray. God of grace, we look to you and we need help. We need help applying um, even these simple instructions, these simple words
This story very much invites us to find our place amidst it. And we've got all kinds of internal resistance to finding ourselves there. Will you help us, please? And help us even as we move towards the time in our service where we have communion. Pray that you would use that and every other part of this service and of our community together to draw us into the way of power, not our power, but your power. The power that comes as we look to you for grace. We look to you for forgiveness. We look to you 